Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. All right. um, Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have listeners and especially guests that you know know what they're talking about and really bring it to you and my next guest uh, is uh, you know going to join us with some great information uh, about who is buying um, certain types of digital companies and his name is Ch- uh, Chris Shipperling from Global Wired Advisors joining us from Charlotte North Carolina um, Chris thanks so much for joining me today welcome to the show thank you so much I really appreciate you having me on yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, Global Wired Advisors, it sounds uh, like it's uh, a, a real today-oriented company. Tell us what it's all about. And tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is. It is a company for, uh, uh, or M&A firm for uh, the more modern business. But uh, yeah, Global Wired Advisors was started um, two years ago. Uh, we are a um, uh, um, a, a sister uh, firm of uh, Providium uh, Group. So Providium Group was actually started four years ago. Um, it was started by my uh, two of my partners, uh, Jason Somerville and Joe Hogg. And uh, that was uh, more or less, uh, it's more or less a private equity effort uh, looking for businesses really um, in interesting spaces. Right now it's actually uh, very heavy in cannabis. Um, and uh, very quickly, they uh, realized that uh, an advisory um, um, component of Providium Group was needed, uh, and for a fairly big reason, which I'll go into in just a moment. Um, so that so Providium Advisors was started. That's when uh, uh, my other partner Chris Bodnar came on uh, came on board, and then about a year and a half later, I uh, I met these guys through some. Uh, mutual contacts. And, uh, you know, we just, we shared a lot of the same philosophies about business and life, which is also uh, very important. And uh, we started Global Wired Advisors. My background is in consumer uh, products. I've worked in various executive roles uh, for um, in both the juvenile and toy world uh, specifically. Um, but I've held positions as um, a sales, uh, sales and marketing um, executive leader. Uh, in the in that in those uh, two different industries, and so about five years ago, um, I pivoted my career um, and uh, started my own consulting firm, where I was helping larger enterprise companies um, within the juvenile and toy space uh, pivot uh, into a more modern uh, marketing philosophy. Uh, one component of that was uh, brands that are selling on Amazon but they're selling through Vendor Central, which is a more traditional wholesale relationship. But even with that wholesale relationship, there were still different optimization and marketing uh, tools that were not being utilized uh, to help grow their sales through Amazon, and also helping uh, brands 
in larger companies uh, rotate off of vendor central and to seller central, the marketplace, and really helping them understand how to do that, uh, creating a good strategy, um, and then, of course, lining up lots of good tactics to, uh, to help them grow their business. And also did digital marketing consulting as well as some, uh, some high-level sales consulting. My three partners, they all came from large institutional investment banking. Um, so managing directors and higher at uh, Wells Fargo Securities, uh, Bank, Bank of America Investment Bank, um, Citibank, Deutsche Bank, uh, the Hartford working on strategic M&A. Um, and Jason's uh, last large role was uh, second in command at an $11 billion hedge fund down in uh, Miami called Bayview Asset uh, Management. So, you know, large institutional enterprise uh, bulge bracket investment banking experience uh, matched with, you know, real solid sales and marketing and digital marketing experience. We started Global Wired Advisors. Uh, we had, you know, a lot of clients that were coming to Providium Advisors were digitally based or uh, digitally native, as, as, as we like to say, and, um, you know, needed a different type of advisory uh, when it came to digging into the metrics, digging into you know the the uh, the opportunity of the of the company going forward for a, for a potential acquirer, um, and just required a, a a different type of skill set to take a look at the business through a different type of lens uh, and experience. So the four of us we started Global Wired Advisors, and we've been at it for uh, two years. Our business is is growing leaps and bounds, as you can imagine, and I'm excited to talk to you about what we're currently seeing in the digital world. It's, uh, it's very interesting given what we're going through with the pandemic. I would imagine it is. Uh, let's, let's get a terminology out of the way quickly for our listeners. How do you define great. digitally native? Digitally native. Yeah, you know, what's, what's, great is, what's great is that we are, we're, we're agnostic. So if somebody comes to us and says, hey, you know, there's only a small portion of my business that is digital, that's selling directly to the mm -hmm. consumer, that's selling through marketplaces, that might actually be a wholesale relationship through um, some of the larger retail uh, websites. So, you know, that's kind of one, one flavor. And then, of course, with consumer products specifically, when you are a digital brand or a digitally native brand, you typically don't have a lot of uh, wholesale relationships with your channel strategy, you know, so you don't have a relationship, you know, you're not selling in Target or Walmart, you're primarily selling either through your website, like a Casper mattress, even though they've started, they branched out a couple of years ago, um, or like a Tivos, uh, you've got your own brand that you're selling primarily direct to consumer. So you're the one controlling the entire conversation. And you're also the one controlling the first handshake that you have with the consumer. You're not reliant on a retail relationship to do that for you. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the consumer product. Um, um, focus for our firm and effort. We also focus uh, pretty heavily on SaaS, so software as a solution or software as a service. Um, that's, a, that's a big focus and, and effort for our firm. And then our third big uh, area of focus is digital agencies. So, you know, we've got um, three engagements currently uh, that we're about to take to market in the next three months. Um, two of them are heavily focused on Amazon uh, digital consulting, and then one is heavily focused on pure brand digital marketing uh, consulting as well. Okay, thank you. So, when, yeah, when I think of uh, you know who the buyers of some of these companies might be, I I always think of Google with their funny money, or you know some of the giant companies that are buying up technology-based companies. But but in your experience, who is buying dig these digitally native companies? 
Well, great question. And I think that this current pandemic is fast forwarding um, the buyer set. Uh, and what I mean by that is traditionally, you know, you've got funds that have popped up, uh, private equity funds, family office uh, funds, um, obviously corporate strategic buyers. Th these are the folks that we're speaking to on a more regular basis. And also you have individual investors that might pull, you know, some investor cash with, um, you know, a colleague or a friend or a relative and start their own investment fund. Um, that's, that's who we've been speaking with. And so, you know, you've got a decent amount of, of um, I'd call them counterparties or potential acquirers already out there looking for digital businesses. Um, you know, they, they realize that this is where the world is headed. They've known it for a while. And um, it's what's, what is pretty interesting, Bill, is that especially with even, even I'd say with private equity, um, you know, we've, we've had a, a, a fair share of just uh, Amazon-based businesses or marketplace-based businesses where they have some level of percentage of their revenue concentration being sold through Amazon. And, you know, none of them, not one person that we've sold a business to, and, you know, we've sold a lot of businesses to date, um, came to us in the buyer set that actually had a very strong skill set um, in digital marketing and or Amazon which is interesting. So, you know, they, they've got the, they've got the capital, right. They've got the finance piece nailed. Um, and now they're, they realize I, I, instead of allocating my, um, you know, my, my cash towards, um, you know, whatever traditional businesses out there uh, that I could potentially buy, it's important for me to start looking at digital businesses because this is where things are headed. Now, COVID and the pandemic, really has fast forwarded that give you for instance we spoke to five family offices that week never done an investment in the digital world all five of them are interested now in doing in investments in the digital world a lot of a lot of funds woke up unfortunately because of this mm -hmm. pandemic but they woke up and realized we are highly levered in brick and mortar we're highly levered in traditional businesses that are currently shut down so lots of oil is being leaked unfortunately with their portfolios and so they realize I, we, need to, we need to start looking at digital investments and start levering some of this uh, allocation of assets towards digital investments. That's a great point. I, was, uh, I just had uh, an earlier discussion with the futurist and technology, and he said, you know, that's the biggest problem uh, that a lot of people uh, have is they haven't adopted technology soon enough. That The technology to work at home has been around for five years. People that are caught off guard uh, just weren't paying attention. So uh, th there's That's a lot right. to pay attention to. And and in someone who might be operating um, in and around, let's say, a, a, a typical old school company, like say a construction company, which may have some, mm -hmm. some good technology needs for design and pre-build and all that kind of stuff. Um, are, are those the types of companies that that you do, you do you cross over is where I'm getting at with companies that that need the technology, like you're talking about, and the companies that have the technology. Is that where you see the future of of your uh, services? Good question. We haven't actually seen that yet. So you know, typically those who you know the the businesses that we've sold have either been you know um, a tuck into a platform um, for you know a private equity fund a family office uh, that's making, you know, a larger investment in digital for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And or we've also sold the individual buyers. Uh, we sold to about two corporate strategics, but that 
you know, just I'd say in the, in the short term in the past six months, but nothing like that, like you've described, Bill, but it's very interesting you bring that up. I just spoke with a SaaS business this week. Um, and um, if this is an engagement that we're able to take to market, that's the mentality we're going to take to market is that we believe that this particular SaaS product would be a great fit um, for someone who hasn't necessarily invested yet, but needs to invest um, in this particular SaaS technology that does help with home-based businesses. So uh, it's a great question. We haven't actually experienced it yet, but good timing. <laughs> I had a really good call with a uh, potential client this week and, and actually walked through that type of strategy. Interesting, yeah, because it seems like a lot of people will be looking at uh, if they've missed that and they're behind on the curve, then they they don't want the next whatever pandemic to to uh, do them in. So, uh, what what's the difference uh, for our listeners between using an M and A professional advisor and a business broker? Uh-huh. You bring up a great question. We actually wrote a paper about this. Uh, we have a whole web web page dedicated just to that. Um, on our uh, on our website, and you know we can go through those particulars later in the call here. Um, but uh, but there's a there's a fairly large difference, and a lot of it's going to be boiled down to pedigree, skill set, and process. You know, a typical business broker process, and I'll try and I'll try and be succinct and just boil it down into a nutshell. And I won't sit okay. here and disparage, I promise. But uh, you know, the, a, a typical business broker process is you engage with a business broker. They sell themselves on, hey, look, we're going to get your business to market very quickly. Um, they put together fairly anemic marketing materials or something that's very templatized or canned. Um, they also, you know, there's no upfront charge whatsoever, so there's real no skin in the game from the broker. Um, and they put your business on all of the listing sites, and they also have an email list that they also sell themselves on. Uh, we've got this buyer list, and we'll blast this out to our buyer list. And so once uh, somebody raises their hand that might be on that list or that might be through BizBuySell or BizQuest and says, I'm interested in this company, there's a little bit of vetting from the broker. Um, you know, PFS might come up, personal financial statements, um, you know, how are you going to pay for this? But it's all very surface level type of conversation with the potential buyer. And pretty much almost immediately, um, the conversation is rotated away from the broker and then the seller gets on the phone with the potential buyer. And so really what you have is a scenario where the seller is effectively selling his own comp- his or her own company. Um, and so the broker isn't really doing a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of legwork. Uh, and then of course, once you get into LOI during LOI seller is leaning more heavily on legal counsel at that point than the broker almost mm-hmm. at all. So when it comes to structure, when it comes to negotiations, when it comes to strategic thinking, critical thinking, um, you know, all the stuff that you learn from lots of years of experience, either in corporate America and or working for institutional investment banking, none of that's available at, uh, pretty much across the board. Now, there are some good business brokers out there. So I don't want to sit here and say, hey, this is all peanut butter, right? But for the most part, right. this is the process that you're probably going to go through. Now, with us and, you know, being able to call ourselves, you know, experienced M&A advisors, there's a couple differences. One, I will say this, we're also working on getting our broker-dealer to where we will be a fully functional investment bank, digital investment bank, probably within the next year. What that allows us to do is, you know, uh, effectively sell securities, um, which is much different. Now, we can also currently do MBOs. We can do LBOs. We can do cap raises up has to be a certain percentage. 
Um, but we can do all of those types of products, like traditional investment banking products. A business broker can't do any of those types of stuff, typically. Again, now you do have some of the uh, business brokers that are out there that, that can do a sum of that or an element of those things. But, you know, we really do and we're headed towards, uh, you know, operating as a full service investment bank. And then as far as process goes, just to try and boil it down, you know, when you engage with a firm like ours, we're doing all of the heavy lifting. We're doing all of the work. And so we spend, which is a typical investment banking process, we're going to spend three to four weeks getting to know you and your business and procuring all of the information and data about your company for as long as it's been around. So we're going to take all of that data. We're going to have some pretty serious interviews with, with you um, as, the, as the seller really just getting in your brain and understanding why did you start this business and where do you believe this is, is, this is going. And on top of that, we're going to bolt on, you know, a pretty strong business plan, um, an opportunistic business plan that's typically three to four years that we're going to use to go out to the trade uh, into the market uh, to get them to bite on growth versus just having them focus on historical data. So we put all of this together and we tell a story. Uh, we call it the intersection. It's the intersection really of, the vision of the business, um, the goals of the seller, as well as what's the market going to say about this business. And we know all three of those things. We're able to articulate all three of those things very well. We put together a CIM or an OM um, offering memorandum. And so we, it's just a, those two acronyms are well known in the investment world, but they're just really a really cute way of saying marketing materials. <laughs> And so we put together yeah. a book that you know you 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 would be very proud to put on a Fortune 500 board uh, boardroom or in a Fortune 500 boardroom, and it's about 60, 70. They've gone all the way up to 100 pages. Um, they're not just fluff. We don't have any filler in there. We're painting a narrative of why someone should invest and why they need to pay a premium for this company. When we go out, we do a lot of research on who the best fit for the business will be. We don't just blast it to a blind list. Now we are procuring a segmented list, but it's a very data-driven segmented list. We have it down to about 25 different data points, knowing the type of buyer and what they're really looking for. So we're not just putting everything in front of them. So it's very much a thorough process. Then we're gonna go out and identify 100 to 150 plus um, potential uh, sophisticated acquirers or sophisticated counterparties. And we're going to start our marketing process from there. Um, and so as we're selling the business, buyer or seller is focusing on their business. Uh, we sold three businesses last month. The buyer and seller never spoke, not one time. And so, wow. and we're going to run the process. We're going to run it all the way until closing. Um, now, when you're dealing with larger companies that, you know, when you're talking about companies that are 25, 30, 35 million, that doesn't happen. There's management calls and it's, it's intentional. You have to have those. And we're, we're totally fine with that, but we coach both the buyer and the seller um, for that call. And we're heavily involved in that call, playing both offense and defense, almost like a lawyer in some sense, but not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> legally we're not allowed to be lawyers so uh, but that's, we're playing that's a great background and overview Chris, yeah, Chris I, I really appreciate that because you know for a lot of our listeners they they wonder they get called they get calls from different people and they wonder well this person says they can sell it or they can but in especially in in um, 
digital types of businesses that they're, yes. they're, you're selling a lot more than what's on the balance sheet in the P&L. You're selling the vision of the future and maybe future-based applications. So it's really important. Correct. I noticed that uh, you also on your website, listeners, I want you to go to uh, Global Wired Advisors, Global Wired Advisors with S-O-R-S at the end of advisors.com globalwiredadvisors.com. They have a valuation tool on their website where business owners can input a series of data points to output a valuation range for their company and uh, and several interesting white papers that uh, you need to look into um, and um, mm. get in touch with, with Chris Schipferling and the group down at Global Wired Advisors. It's, uh, it sounds like uh, you guys go uh, above and beyond for, um, for our listeners. So I really appreciate you coming on today, right. Chris. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, globalwiredadvisors.com is the website, and I've been talking with Chris Shipferling. And Chris, I look forward. Uh, I hope you'll come back and keep us posted. We barely scratch the surface today, but I need to move on. We sure did. Take care, Bill. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 